Well, good morning, church. Uh, good to see you, if you will. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be camped out in Ephesians in terms of where you need to go in the Bible. There'll be some verses up on the screen, but just keep your Bibles open to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Our topic today is the second part of our mission statement, building up the body of Christ. So with that topic in mind, I'd like to begin this morning by mentioning some things that were built and then were torn down or destroyed in my lifetime. First of all, the first house I lived in, as well as all the barns and the sheds, were torn down a few years ago because of age and to make room for more crops. The first church I attended in Kirkland, Indiana, was torn down for some of the same reasons and to make room for a water tower. The first professional football game I ever attended was in the Hoosier Dome, and it was torn down because a newer, larger, improved stadium was built called Lucas Oil Stadium. Any of you kids ever heard of Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah? Any of you kids been there, Lucas Oil Stadium, before? A few? All right. Also, I've had several cars over the years, mostly older cars, that had to be taken to the junkyard because they weren't worth repairing or selling to someone else. Sharon and I live in a home that's about 40 years old, and this spring we had to tear out most of our old pool and build a new one because the pool was leaking and the parts were wearing out. We ended up having to do the same thing with the cement in front of our garage. So if you're old enough, you've probably experienced some of these things. And with all the tearing down that goes on in the world, how do we build anything that will last? Well, fortunately, when God gives us something to build, he guarantees the final outcome according to his glorious purposes. Uh, Noah's Ark is one example. In Genesis 6, God said to Noah, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. That's 450 feet, which is one and a half football fields. So it was a big ark. Its breadth, 50 cubits or 75 feet. And its height, 30 cubits or 45 feet. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Perhaps you've seen it. It's called the Ark Encounter. Amazing that the Ark would settle in Kentucky, so close to the Creation Museum, but God's ways are mysterious indeed. Now, it's also important to make sure we're building for the right reasons. Here are two examples where people built something for their own glory and not for God's glory. First of all, in Genesis 11, regarding the Tower of Babel, it says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Uh-oh. So God confused their language and dispersed them over the face of the earth. And then in Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? If you remember, the next seven years didn't go so well for him. So, knowing we live in a fallen world with fallible people, including ourselves, how do we build up the body of Christ so it doesn't self-destruct? 
That's the question I will attempt to answer this morning as we continue our study of the FCC mission statement. We exist by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to behold God, to build up the body of Christ, and then to, be, to bless the city and the world. So let's pray and ask God for wisdom and empowerment. Heavenly Father, we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Help us to hear your building instructions and be obedient builders with our hearts fixed on you and our eyes fixed on your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how do we build up the body of Christ? I've got three points for you here this morning. Point one, we build up the body of Christ through the union and unity we have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Point two, we build up the body of Christ through the exercise of various gifts of grace and through gifted leaders who equip the saints for the work of ministry. Point three, we build up the body of Christ through individual and corporate maturity in Christ. So let's look at each of these three points. Point number one, we build up the body of Christ through the union and unity we have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let me read those for us again. Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, well, what is the therefore, therefore? If you look above to chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord. Notice that Paul doesn't say a, a prisoner of the Romans. No. Christ captured Paul on the road to Damascus, and he's been the Lord's prisoner ever since. I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's it mean to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling? Well, that means to live a life that reflects the work of grace that God has done in your life. So we constantly need to renew our minds in what God has done for us through the work of Christ, what he's done for us, and that allows us then to be motivated and gives us the power to live a life that reflects God, to walk in a manner worthy of God's calling. And part of that walk then is to be humble. We haven't done anything. God's done it all for us. So we should be humble. We should be gentle. We should be patient. And we should be loving. These are all qualities that build up and don't tear down. Verse 3 tells us to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, if it tells us to maintain, 
That already means that we have the unity of the Spirit because we already possess the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, 15 through 17, to give us a little insight into this possession of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We possess the Holy Spirit, so we can maintain the unity of the Spirit because we have the Spirit in us. And since we possess the Holy Spirit of God, we're not only in union with God, but we're in union with other believers as well. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the Spirit unites us to God and unites us to one another. We're in union with God, and we're in union with one another, so we are one body. We are united. Whether you like it or not, we're going to spend eternity together. So we should get along. We should maintain the unity of the Spirit. And this union and unity is beautifully described in verses 4 to 6. Just glance at your word a little bit there. One body. Though we're very diverse in background and giftedness, we are all members of the same body, right? I mean, we have fingers and toes and ears and, and all sorts of body parts, but we're all just one body. There's one spirit. We're all indwelt by the same Holy Spirit of God. There's one hope. What is that hope? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's one Lord. Well, there's only one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And one faith. One gospel, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. And there's one baptism, the baptism or immersion of the Holy Spirit. There's one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. So even though we're different in our humanity, we're eternally united through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. You see, the basis for building up the body of Christ is our union with God through Christ and the unity that we possess with other believers through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the basis for this whole thing. It's not, we're not the basis. We're not the foundation of that union and unity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is. And so the text simply tells us to maintain that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this is possible because we possess the Holy Spirit and the peace of Christ. Uh, listen to Jesus' words in John 14, 27a. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. When you're looking for peace in your life, just remember you have Jesus, and he is our peace. Things might be swirling around us, but we have the peace of Christ which is greater than anything else. And then if you will, in your Bibles, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2, 13 and 14. This is something that we covered in city group this week, or at least our group did. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, speaking to the Gentiles there, you who once were far off have been and were united with one another as well. He is our peace. We not only have peace with God, but we can have peace with one another. That completeness, that, that wholeness, that perfect oneness and unity is ours for the taking. God gave it to us. He empowers it to happen. All you got to do is get out of your own way and just receive it and live in that peace, live in that union and unity. Of course, if you don't have a connection vertically, it's hard to have a connection horizontally, right? If you're not, in, if you're not at peace with God through Christ, how can you have peace with other people? It's impossible. Your peace won't do it. Only the peace of Jesus will bring peace to a situation. Because remember, we're all very different. I mean, just look around at people. We're all very different. <laughs> Easy, you two. Yeah, keep an eye on you. But that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have this union and unity within our diversity, right? That's what makes it beautiful, all right? Listen to Romans fourteen nineteen. Paul says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. In other words, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to pursue it. You just can't sit back with your hands behind your back and just kind of wait for it. No, it's there. It's yours. You just have to maintain it. But maintaining it means pursuing it. You've got to lean into it. You've, you have to be about it. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Sometimes we get so focused on ourselves that we forget to look at people around us and to see what can I do to bring encouragement to them and build them up. Because we're looking for somebody to build us up. No, God builds us up. His Spirit builds us up. His Word builds us up. And then we build up one another. It's a mutual upbuilding. So when you walk through these doors on a Sunday morning or you go to your city group or a prayer time or you're helping somebody else, just keep in mind you're there to love and to serve and to minister to build up that person. But guess what happens when you build up someone else? You're built up too, aren't you? Isn't that beautiful the way God designed that? If I can forget about myself and, and focus on the Lord and who he wants me to serve and work at building them up, then I am mutually built up at the same time. It's like God must have planned this or something. It's amazing. So how do we do this on a practical basis? How do we pursue peace and mutual upbuilding? Well, there's one more thing that, that we all share in common besides the Spirit, besides Christ. God the Father. It's Scripture. We share this word in common, the Holy Scripture. And specifically, I'd like to focus on what I call the one another's of Scripture. All right? Listen to just a few of them. I'm going to read through these quickly so they won't be up on the screen. John 13 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There's the one another. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Romans 12 says, live in harmony with one another. Did you hear the beautiful harmonies coming from our stage up here today? It was beautiful. It's, it's like a symphony orchestra. 
They play in harmony. A lot of different instruments and giftedness there, but it all makes one beautiful sound together. We are to live in harmony with one another, which means you don't toot your own horn louder than anybody else, right? You fit in with everybody, okay? That's maturity. We'll get to that eventually. Romans 15 says, Therefore, welcome or accept one another as Christ has welcomed and accepted you. Now, sometimes, folks, I'm not saying about this church, but sometimes in churches, we're not real good at welcoming or accepting new people. We kind of get comfortable in our surroundings, in our circle of friends, and we forget that God's bringing new people into his body all the time. We have to be welcoming and accepting of one another. Galatians 5 says to, to through, through love, serve one another. Ephesians 4 says to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You always have to remember that. In order for me to extend forgiveness, I have to remember that I have received it. And it's good to remember that on a daily basis. That way you, you have that resource to extend that forgiveness to others as well. Colossians 3 says that we are to teach and admonish one another. I mean, we all need a little kick in the seat every once in a while, right? I mean, Trent, you know that's right, right? Yeah, we all need that once in a while. So we're to teach, we're to admonish, maybe encourage, maybe even exhort a little stronger in our encouragement there. Um, we're to do that with each other. Why? Because we love one another and we want to help build up the body of Christ. And Scripture's where we find the ways to do that. And if you just get on, get on your computer and Google one another's of Scripture, you'll see a whole long list. I've got just a couple, three more. Uh, Thessalonians says encourage one another and build up one another. So there you have it. Build up the body of Christ. There's a good verse, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 11. Build up one another. Hebrews 10, stir one another up to love and good deeds. James 5, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. You know what the end result of that is? Healing. Now we're getting into it. When we confess our sins to one another, pray for one another. But if you want healing, if you want your friends healing, if we want to, you know, not only be at peace with Christ positionally, but to be at peace with Christ and one another experientially, it's going to take some confession. I mean, I don't know about you, but I flub up every once in a while. Sharon, please don't say anything. No examples. We don't have time for examples right now, but maybe, maybe some other time. And then 1 Peter 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Boy, if we could just practice that one, God's grace would flow because he gives grace to the humble, right? Yeah. So th throughout the years, I have prayed sort of a prayer like this. I, I would pray, God, let me be part of a church that looks like the church in Acts chapter 2, they, where they were in the apostles' teaching and, and, and praying with one another and taking their meals together and celebrating communion together and 
If somebody was in need, somebody else would sell something they had and, and meet the need of the other person. If somebody had some extra tomatoes, he shared them with people that needed tomatoes. You know, I think Franklin City Church has a, a chance to be that type of a church. I mean, I've been in a lot of churches. I've been in, in a several even as a pastor. And uh, the enemy always likes to find a crack to get involved and to kind of break up that, that unity that we have. So we, we have to maintain it. We have to be on guard. Uh, we have to make sure that we're putting Christ first and then putting others second and ourselves third. We have to be more concerned about the other person's upbuilding and growth than we do our own. But when we do that, that kind of a church is going to have an impact for God in that community. That type of a church doesn't just stay within itself. God explodes it and releases his love and his grace into the area surrounding. Folks, we need that kind of a church here, and we need to be praying that God will bring revival not only to Franklin but to Johnson County and the state of Indiana and the United States of America and around the world. So let's continue to pray for that, and let's continue to pursue the things that make for peace and bring us together. So to summarize point number one, here's the summary. The body of Christ is built up when we realize that we're all one in Christ and have the power of the Holy Spirit to live out this union and unity through practical expressions of love. Keep that in mind. Realize it. Know it. Memorize that. You know, keep it right there in front of you all the time. So let me ask you two application questions before we move on. Question one, do you realize the union and unity you have with other believers through the completed work of Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Is that, is that the basis for how you live out your Christian life? Question two, are you living out this union and unity through the power of the Holy Spirit as directed by God's Word. You know, we, need, you, we all need to ask ourselves hard questions at times, all right? It's better to know truth about where you're at in terms of becoming, where your maturity is at in Christ. It's just good to take a good hard look in the mirror, and, you know, the Bible's like a mirror. You can look into that and see who Christ wants you to be. And this is just evaluate where you're at every once in a while. And then as you need to, confess sin, have people pray over you, receive that healing, and then pass that along to others. Because we're all in need of it, right? Let's just be honest. We're all in need of that healing. And you know what? As I, as I look around the country and I see so, many, so much divisiveness, I mean, just any little thing, you know, it, it, it just seems like the enemy has figured out a lot of different ways to divide us as people. Christ came and died and sent his spirit and gave us the word of God 
and united us with him and united us together so that we could defeat the enemy and his schemes. It has to begin with the church. If a place is unhealthy, it's because the church has not been the church. And that's why when Grant's preaching, every time he says to you, I love you, go and what? Be the church. It's one thing to go to church. It's a whole other thing to be the church. Because that means to be like Christ. That means to be in union and unity vertically so that you can do the same thing horizontally. In your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your classrooms, wherever God calls you. That's your mission field, right? Wherever God calls you. So let me go to point two. Point two is that we build up the body of Christ through various gifts of grace and through gifted leaders who equip the saints for the work of ministry. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at verses 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, that is, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or the pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There's a lot in that passage, and we're not going to unpack, uh, unpack all of it, but I just want to kind of stay on theme here, all right? Now, the first thing that we should acknowledge is that God is a gracious and generous giver. You just got to believe that, that God is a gracious and generous giver. In verse 7, it says grace was given to every believer. In verse 8, gifts were given to men. In verse 11, it says gifted leaders were given to the saints to equip them for ministry. So consider these verses that I'd like to share about God's gracious generosity. We'll just start with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then Romans 8.31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, in other words, God gave his only son to us, If he didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Think about it. Your most precious possession, I mean, outside of family and and people and that kind of thing, your most precious possession you give to a friend. If you gave your most precious possession to that friend, wouldn't you probably give almost anything else that you had to them? And that's what this verse is saying. If God gave up his son for you, won't he also give you everything else that you need? Whatever you need grace for, it's there in Christ. I should probably hear another amen on that one. All right, you guys are a little slow. 
So God has graciously and generously given us his only son. He's also given us everything we need to build up the body of Christ through various gifts of grace. So let me give you a few passages that just talk about gifts, okay, spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ. And can I just stop right there for a minute? Now, I've found this to be true pretty much every person I've ever met. If you have a certain gift, sometimes it's easier for it's easy for you to kind of put down people that don't have that gift. Maybe maybe you're just very outgoing. You share your faith easily and you're wondering why the rest of the congregation isn't out there sharing the gospel with people. Well, we should be. <laughs> but maybe you're gifted in that way and they aren't. So, all right, having gifts that differ, differ, just keep in mind that our gifts differ. Isn't that a good thing? Would you want to just be a, a, a finger? I mean, if, if your body just was a, a finger, you wouldn't just want to be an ear, would you? I mean, wouldn't you want to have a nose and, you know, legs and things like that, all right? So we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Why do you have that gift? Because of God's grace. Oh, you thought it was just a natural ability that you sort of developed over the years. It was all about you, isn't it? No. I am real sorry to have to tell you folks, but it's not about you. Nothing is about you. It's all about him. All right, finally. <laughs> there we go. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us Use them. It's no good to have a gift that you don't use, right? I mean, God didn't give you a gift to take it and, and put it away like you do some gifts, put it on a shelf, and then 10 years later you thought, now who gave me that gift up there? Gifts are given to be used, right? And by the way, in this passage, there's seven different gifts that are listed. You can look at them later. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, oh, did you hear that? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for your own personal good. No, it's for the common good. God gives us Gifts of grace, not for ourselves, but to use them for the common good. Wow. But isn't that more important? I mean, if, if your gift was only used to encourage you or help you, I mean, that's so somewhat of a limited vision for that gift. But if God gives me a gift and I bless other people with that gift, then I'm fulfilling God's purpose for me and I find great joy and fruit in that giving. All right, first, by the way, there's nine gifts list, listed in this passage in 1 Corinthians 12. And then 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each, again, as each has received a gift, use it, again, to serve one another. There's another one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. See, God wants us to be a steward. It's not your gift. You're just taking care of that gift. You're using it for the master whose gift it really is. It's not your gift. It's just God's gift through you 
for the common good of others. And when you use it, you're being a good steward, right? All right. And there's two broad gifts listed here, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And then, of course, we have the five types of gifted people listed in Ephesians 4.11 that we just read about that God gives to the church in order to equip the church for ministry. Now, listen to this slide. God wants all of his children to be equipped ministers of the gospel. What, what gifted leaders do is they equip the rest of the body to be the ministers. To equip the saints, those of us in Christ, for what? The work of ministry. We all have a ministry. You're all ministers. If you're in Christ, you're a minister. And your job is to allow yourself to be equipped, encouraged, admonished, taught, loved. Pay attention to examples. Imitate leaders' faith. Your job is to be engaged. And as you are engaged, and we are building one another up in love, then God's Spirit, through our gifts, rises up and does a great work in our lives as well as those that are around us. It's just such a beautiful plan. Now, regarding verses 8 through 10, let me just say that Paul is probably alluding to Psalm 68, which is a victory hymn, in reference to Christ's victory over Satan, sin, and death, and his exaltation and authority over all things. And I believe that Philippians 2, 5 through 11, will give us some insight into the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. Listen to Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the, in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That is his humiliation. He humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, now we get to the exaltation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see his descending or his condescension, taking, the, you know, taking on flesh, living a life of humility, dying on the cross. And then we see God then three days later raising him from the dead and ultimately then ascending to heaven and, and sitting to the right hand of the Father, being exalted and then giving gifts to men through the Holy Spirit. Again, there's more to say on that passage, but we're going to keep rolling for now. So let me summarize point number two. God's given us his son. He's given us gifted leaders to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And he's given each of us one, at least one, spiritual gift to use in order to build up the body of Christ. So two more application questions. What gifts of grace has God given you? What are your gifts? They're from God through his grace given to you for the common good. We all have gifts that differ 
so that God can use them for each of us to sort of complement one another in being Jesus to each other. What brings you joy? If you're not sure what your gift is, think about that. What brings you joy in terms of service and, and you know, God utilizing you in different ways? If, if you find joy in something, then that's probably a gift because as we use our gifts, we experience joy. Or where do you see yourself bearing fruit for the kingdom? That's also probably a, 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 a good litmus test in terms of what your gifts might be, where you see God actually using you to influence people to bring them closer to him, for, God, for Christ to be grown up in them. So just a couple things to consider. So here's point number three, my last point this morning. We build up the body of Christ through individual and corporate maturity in Christ. So let's look at the last few verses there, Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. So we have these gifted leaders to build up the body, of, build up the saints, and to use so that they might be equipped for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, in other words, a, 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 the content of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. (laughs) God's got lofty ambitions for us, doesn't he? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Wow, that's powerful. You see, the result of the church's unity in the Spirit And the exercise of these various gifts of grace is the church's maturity. When we are indwelt and filled by the Holy Spirit, and we allow the Holy Spirit to use those gifts of grace in our lives for the common good, we we are grown up. We are becoming mature. Maturity doesn't happen in an isolated setting. We're, we're meant to be equipped and we're meant to be with one another and to mature together. And it shouldn't be a competition thing where you think, well, you know, I've memorized more Scripture than you have, or how many people did you lead to Christ this week? Or pastors and churches, well, how many, how many baptisms did you have last year? Those kind of things. No, it's not about that. It's about all of us building up one another. Otherwise, it's just you and your church that's glorified. It's not God being glorified. But as we work together, as we learn to work together with other Christ-centered, Bible-believing churches in the area, everybody gets built up. I think in the world they call that a win-win, right? Yeah, that's what's happening. So what what does Christian maturity look like? Well, what's the scriptures that we just read? It looks like to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maturity looks like Christ. So 
the more I know who Christ is and who my identity is in Him, and the more surrendered I am to Him and want His will to be done in my life, the more I'll become like Him. And there's nothing sweeter in all of life than to look more and more like Jesus. There's nothing better. He is our measuring rod, our standard. He is the goal. He's the ultimate picture of maturity. So as I wind this down, let me just give you some ways that that can help us get there. How do we grow in Christian maturity and look more like Jesus? First of all, by growing in my knowledge of Christ and the truth of God's Word. I must look into the Scriptures. I must come to know Christ, and I need to know His Word. 2 Peter uh, 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John 8 tells us to abide in His Word. And if we do that, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Free from what? Free from sin, free from ourselves, free from the old man, free from this world, free to become what? To become more like Christ, if I abide in His Word. Acts 20, 32, when when Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that trouble awaits him, he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to, what? Build you up. One of the things you can do to be built up is to be in God's word. Even better, gather a group of people, whether it's your family or your city group or just people at a restaurant, Study the Word together. You're not only allowing yourself to be built up, but you're helping Christ to build up other people as well. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, in other words, mature, equipped for every good work. Got to be in the Word. Second thing, to be mature, we have to speak the truth from a heart of love. Some people are real good about speaking the truth. <laughs> but you're thinking, I didn't feel loved in that whole thing. Or some people are very good at loving, but they hardly ever speak the truth. Christian maturity says that uh, it means that we speak the truth, but we do it with a heart of love for the person we're speaking to. So here's what, here's what you do. When you know you need to speak the truth in love to somebody, the first thing to do is, okay, I know the truth I have to speak. Then you check your heart. You do a heart check. Is my heart full of love for this person? Is this why I would go and speak the truth to them? And if not, then sit down, shut up, and keep praying. Ask God to give you a heart of love. Don't go to that person unless you go with love in your heart. That person has to know that you love them deeply like Christ does in order for them to see Christ's word and and to be able to make an impact. Let me go to my third point here. So we, we grow in Christian maturity by growing in our knowledge of Christ and his word, by speaking truth from a heart of love, and by number three, by using my gifts in a mature way. You have a gift. But gifts, I always say to people, never let your gifts, um, yeah, what do I say to people? (laughs) Jesus, help me here. 
Never, never uh, allow your gifts to be used beyond your character or your maturity. That's not really how I say it, but that's, that's close enough. It's not coming to me right now. In other words, make sure your gifts don't outdo your maturity or your character in Christ. If so, your gifts will be too self-centered and not others-centered. And your gifts will actually be used for your glory and not for God's glory. And, and believe me, I've, I've seen this happen to a number of very gifted people. Actually, I've always been very glad that I was never that gifted in any one thing. Just sort of a jack of all trades. That, well, he's okay if, you, you know, if, if Grant's away, I suppose we can listen to him. But anyway, because sometimes I look at people that are just so gifted, and I see their lives whew, just head down so quickly. It's just a slippery slope if you don't contain your gift and use it in a mature way. Um, verse 16b in our reading says, when each part, when each of us is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we're each performing our gifts in a mature way, the whole body grows, and that's what we have to make sure is happening. And then Ephesians 2.22, if you want to glance at your, your Bible there, if it's still open to Ephesians, Ephesians 2.22 says, In Him, in Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. I want to emphasize those two words. We're being built together. You see, Christian maturity is lived out in community. I think I mentioned that a while ago. And we either mature together or we stay in spiritual diapers forever. Let's not be a church that stays in spiritual diapers. Let's, let's be a church that matures together. So it means we, we do things as a body. We listen to one another. We appreciate one another. You build me up and I build you up, and together we build one another up. I mean, that's a, that's a love and a unity and a, and a oneness that the world will take notice of. Why? Because it's very different from the world. But we're called to be different, aren't we? Yeah, we're called to be different. So let me summarize this morning. We build up the body of Christ, the second aspect of our mission statement, through our union and unity with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the exercise of gifts of grace and through gifted leaders that equip the saints for the work of ministry, and through individual and, more importantly, corporate maturity into the fullness of Christ. So how do we accomplish those things here at FCC? Let me just give you a few thoughts. First of all, we... we maintain our union and unity through the first aspect of our mission statement, which Grant talked about last week, beholding God. And how do we do that? We do that as we worship together in singing, praying, learning God's word, fellowshipping together. Secondly, we build each other up through the use of our gifts. Now, we can do that a little bit on Sunday mornings. I mean, you can use your gifts of encouragement or service and everything here on Sunday mornings, 
but probably you have a better opportunity to use your gifts in city groups or in smaller groups. And then through those, we hope that maybe there's people that you even develop a, a, even a tighter friendship with or maybe do some things together in ministry. And as we use our gifts in those settings, then we are building up the body of Christ. And so that's why we encourage you, don't just come regularly on Sunday mornings, be a part of a city group, develop some friendships, find some affinity things that you can, you know, maybe you enjoy cycling. So you and a brother or sister here, you join a a group that cycles and you allow the life of Christ to be shared with people that are in in your cycling club, all right? Things like that. And then thirdly, Individual and corporate maturity is, is accomplished as we covenant with one another to be congregationally responsible. What does that mean, to be congregationally responsible? It means that you're not just sitting back and expecting the pastors and the leaders to just kind of feed you, and yes, we do this, we do that. I come on Sunday, oh, I'll hit city group a couple times a month. No, it means you're all in that you're making a commitment to one another to live for Christ and to live for each other. We covenant together. So the result of the church's unity, and how, how do we get that unity? Through God's grace and the church's diversity. And where do we see that? In God's gifts of grace. The result of that is the church's maturity through Christ as a result of God's grace. But here's the good news this morning, all right? Ultimately, the body of Christ is built by God the Father. There's where your confidence and your hope can lie, that God ultimately will build the body of Christ. Listen to these verses. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 1 Corinthians 3.6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Hebrews 3.4, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And then Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. I don't know about you, but when Jesus says he's going to build the church, I think that's what he means. He's going to build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love that. And then if you will, open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We'll close with this, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Church, God will complete the task of building his body. We are participants, but our hope, our faith, our trust, our joy comes from the idea that, and the the truth that God ultimately, he's going to build his body. He's going to build you. Paul says the work that he began in you, he's going to complete it when Christ comes, right? Now, in closing, I want you all to stand here for just a minute. Please stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. And I want to read over you this morning the prayer that Jesus prayed 
uh, in John 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed over his disciples before going to the cross. So just bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray this prayer over you here this morning. 